Hello everyone, welcome to the Maitri podcast Between Friends Conversations with Maitri. I am your host Nandini Ray and today we are doing an episode on mental health and South Asian youth community. Mental health issues have frequently been perceived as non-existent in our South Asian communities. We are least likely to seek help due to stigma and other factors. Even today, in a rapidly evolving and modernizing world, most South Asian remains reluctant to address this taboo topic until the situation reaches a level of crisis. Uh, But I think it's high time that we start talking about this issue because mental health matters. We must acknowledge that any of us can suffer from mental health illness and we must reach out for help or offer help if someone is suffering. As various reports have stated that South Asian Americans, especially uh, between the ages of 15 to 24, were more likely than average youth to have symptoms of depression or other mental health issues. So I thought it's important to discuss this topic with our youth community members. It's them who can initiate to bring the change that we all want to see in our community. So we have invited three college students, Sania, Sapna and Amber. Thank you so much for coming to our show. Can you please introduce yourself to our audience? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having us. Uh, My name is Sonia. I am a incoming senior at Drexel University in Philadelphia, but I grew up in San Jose. I am studying psychology and criminal justice. And a lot of my work involves research in autism, PTSD, trauma, and a lot of mental health advocacy, both on campus and off campus, specifically Mm. with students of color and uh, Asian Americans specifically. Great. Hello, um, my name is Amber Mishra. I'm an incoming second year student at UC Davis. I am currently studying statistics as well as minoring in computer science and political science. In college, I'm usually involved in more student government roles as well as mental health awareness. I'm part of a club that is called Manmukti, and it is helping South Asians in spreading mental awareness. And I'm very grateful to be a part of this club. And thank you for having me on today. Thank you. Um, yeah, and thank you once again for having us on this call today. Um, my name is Sapna Ramapa. I'm an incoming third year at UCLA. I have a major in human biology and society with a concentration in bioethics and public science policy. And I'm also very interested in mental health, public health, things like that. Some of my research that I do is mainly on global health, access to medicine, access to healthcare, and um, autism research as well. And so I have a lot of interest in advocacy and mental health, and I hope to work in the healthcare field when I'm older. Thank you. In today's episode, we are inclined to know how South Asian teens and young adults are handling mental health issues. What are they doing to break the stigma associated with it? Are they facing roadblocks in help seeking? Do they have any suggestion for all community members in destigmatizing the issue? Let's find out. 
there is a reason I have invited all three of you today. I know you are not mental health professionals. You are not going to prescribe any therapy or medicine uh, for our listeners. But in our prior conversations, I have noticed, I've seen that you guys are well informed about this issue and you are inclined to break the stigma associated with mental health illness. So I thought it is better if we do this conversation on a public forum and it may help others to see things differently. It may help our community members to join us in raising awareness. So thank you for coming. So my first question, probably it's a difficult question for you. Can you share an experience that you or any of your South Asian friends have faced handling their mental health issues and help seeking? Sure. So I can start. So I grew up in the Bay Area, but I grew up in an abusive home. So my father was abusive. I experienced domestic violence from a young age, um, and my mother did as well. And when I was in around sixth grade was when I started to experience symptoms of depression. And that kind of compounded and grew as I was growing older, especially because no one I knew talked about mental health. And, Mm. you know, there is that typical Desi mentality of what happens in the family stays in the family. So no one really to talk to, no one really to help me understand what was going on. And when I got to high school. It was my sophomore year of high school. And I was at like my highest point of depressive symptoms. And I uh, attempted suicide, I was hospitalized. And when I came out of the hospital after my uh, hospitalization, I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder and anxiety, generalized anxiety disorder. So since then, I've very experienced in just like what living with mental illness is like. And so since then, my journey has been understanding what it means to live with mental illness, understanding why there was so much stigma in my community. When I addressed my mental illness within my community, I was very public about it. And I got a lot of lashback. I got some criticism from community members, from aunties, uncles, friends, about why I was even sharing what I was sharing. And it was surprising because as discouraging as it was, I also got a lot of feedback from friends who said that they were experiencing the exact same thing. And post-hospitalization, I was required to go to therapy. And so I've been in therapy for five years now. I'm going to be a senior in college, uh, you know, and it's my goal is to become a therapist. My whole academic career, I'm applying to grad school. My job, like I'm planning to provide therapy to the exact same people um, and the exact same population that I was a part of um, in efforts to, you know, reduce stigma, but also ensure that the people in my community know the importance of mental health care. Wow, that's so powerful. Thank you so much for sharing. Uh, kudos to you. As for me, my real obstacle and fight with mental illness actually came recently. It was last year in September. Uh, this was about three to four weeks before I was entering college for the first time. And it was a weird gap because most of my friends were in semester schools and I'm in a quarter system school. So the gap in between was they left for college and I was basically kind of the only one back here in the Bay Area just 
being with my family. And it hit me in the first week of September, I think near Labor Day weekend, where I just woke up feeling weird and just feeling unhappy. I was crying out of nowhere. And it was really tough for me to still talk about it because in high school, I did do work on toxic masculinity, but it was just hard to really open up even to your friends sometimes. Like, hey, dude, I'm actually crying. I'm breaking down. I don't know why. What is going on? And it does take a lot of guts for sure to just even open up to my parents. And throughout those first two weeks of September, I was just crying almost every day. And I didn't know what was really causing it. It was just in my mind. And the worst part was I was home alone because both of my parents work. My sister started school because she's younger. And I did confide to a couple of friends and it did help as they gave more advice. But I talked to my parents about it and my parents thankfully were a bit open-minded about it and were willing to help me and everything. We went on a small family trip to Lake Tahoe the weekend before moving in and it did relieve a lot of the stress, but I think that's when it hit me that mental health is really serious and it should be taken seriously, especially this past weekend. One of my favorite Bollywood actors committed suicide regards to mental health and that really hit home for me because he grew up in the same area where I am and seeing comments on his Instagram about like the hate on suicide and the stigma around it, that it's a coward move, this and that. But I feel like as a community, it's really hard for people just like me or even how Sonia was saying her story. It's, it's hard for us to open up at times and it takes a lot of efforts, but these two experiences, especially the one this past Sunday when I read the news, it just made me cry because it's sudden and it's just it hurts because you can relate it one on one. And yeah, that was basically my experiences about it. Yeah, yeah, you are so bang on point that there is a peer pressure for boys to be hyper masculine and media plays a very large role in this. If the boys, you know, image doesn't fit to media standard, then it can create insecurities for boys and, and you know, toxic masculinity that you have talked about community members we need to really think about this issue thank you for sharing Ambar and I'm glad that you got family support but many teens many youth in our community they really don't have that kind of family support that you got I hope that this conversation will help people to change their perspective and they will be helpful they will be supportive to their children I'm just hoping, but probably uh, we need to do a lot of work in that direction. I just wanted to echo what Umbar and Sonia were both saying. I think a big reason as to why so many South Asian American teenagers and young adults don't speak out is because of the stigma. I think I had always been cognizant of the fact that mental health is something very real and very prominent, but I never realized how prevalent it was, maybe until high school when I started noticing that a lot of my friends, both South Asian and not South Asian, were all experiencing uh, mental health issues or even other folks in their close circles who did themselves. So I think a big component of me also starting to reach out was pretty late. I think it wasn't until the beginning of college where I realized that I had a bit of anxiety within myself and there was definitely times where I had to reach out and didn't want to, even though I knew how stigmatized all of it was and how we have to do our best in, in our own lives to combat that. So I started reaching out 
in the middle of this school year, actually. So around January is when I really took the first few steps to reach out and get therapy. And I thought that was really helpful. So I think one of the biggest things that I've seen, you know, through my studies, but also just through experiencing mental health in the South Asian community while being a South Asian, growing up in the Bay Area, the biggest thing is that I think our parents and older generations never had the conversation regarding mental health. And the concept of mental health is not an accepted or acknowledged one. When I was experiencing my symptoms of depression, I mean, I still have symptoms here and there. And when I was at my highest peak of my depressive episodes, it was difficult for my mom to understand that depression existed in just terms of like, the illness in terms of what it meant, what mental health manifested as, uh, what the illness manifested as. And so communicating that with a generation that never had the conversation or the language to discuss it, I think plays a big role, especially, you know, in America, we're talking about South Asian Americans, our parents or most immigrants when they came to the U.S., Their biggest focus was, I want to make a difference for my family. I want to make sure that I can provide for my family and that I have a house, a job, an ability to feed the people that live with me, that I can make sure that my kids have a better experience than I did. And when you're focused on all of those things, when you're focused on getting a job and being able to secure housing and being able to make sure that you can feed your family and make a living, especially an economy like the Bay Area and Silicon Valley, thinking about how you're feeling is going to be the last on your list of priorities, especially if you've never been taught to kind of leave space for it. And I think now as children of immigrants who have the space to address it, we're seeing this influx of South Asian students and kids who are like, okay, I have feelings. I don't know how to address them. How do I address my mental health in general? And finding a way to bridge that gap, I think, is going to be the most important way to help these South Asian students who are experiencing issues with mental health. Yeah, what I'm understanding that the only way to reduce the stigma is for everyone to work together, whether it's parents, whether it's children, school systems, community, everyone needs to understand that it is a serious issue and we need to talk about this issue we need to educate ourselves and all of us need to do their part in dismantling the stigma around mental health in our community so thanks for sharing your perspective Sania. now let's talk about the resources in schools I was listening to some podcast where it was discussed that uh, many schools in this country are not well equipped to help students who are facing mental health issues. And even if they have resources, it is hard to find those resources when you need them. It could be lack of better advertisement. It could be lack of campaigning. Uh, so do you have any different opinion? Do you know any such schools that are doing a lot in terms of raising awareness or providing help or or is it a long way to go? I can definitely answer that. I noticed back in my high school, I went to a small Catholic high school in San Jose and our student body was about 600 kids. So definitely on the smaller end. And 
the way that our faculty members and teachers would encourage students to seek help is we had three counselors for the whole school. So about one counselor for like 200 students or so. And you had mandated appointments with these counselors once a semester. So by the time you graduated high school, you would have seen them about eight times. And anytime you met with them to speak about classes or anything else, you also had the opportunity to speak about anything else that might be on your mind. So this was by encouraging students to meet with their counselors in a mandatory way. It kind of encouraged them to have that space to speak out if something was on their mind. And then there were always resources if students wanted more, they could always email the counselor and set up an appointment and it was pretty easy to do so. But definitely that's not to say that mental health wasn't stigmatized. I think it still was, but they had the opportunity, all the students were able to reach out just uh, by sending an email or even walking to the counselor's office. So interestingly enough, I went from a really small high school to a huge public school. I now go to UCLA where there's over 30,000 undergraduates. So it's very different in terms of uh, seeking out resources. What I found that was pretty interesting is everyone actually thinks that these resources are less accessible than they actually are. For me, it was a matter of reaching out to CAPS, which is Counseling and Psychological Services. Um, It was a matter of going on an online portal, just saying that I want an appointment, doing a little questionnaire. And then one morning I was able to just go to the office and leave within 30 to 45 minutes. So I think it was very, very helpful that I took the first step and just reached out. I genuinely thought it was going to be a lot harder to get access to those services, but it was a lot easier than I thought. And I think my experience with CAPS kind of changed my mind about how accessible these schools really enable mental health services. And in terms of cultural awareness within these schools, I think there's a lot of resources too at least at my school, because there's such a big and diverse student population. There are clubs that focus even specifically on Asian American mental health or Black students and their mental health, just because it is so different in different communities. So I think Mm -hmm. that it's really nice that there is that cultural awareness in our schools as well. And then most recently, for example, I've seen that there's also a huge variance between professors, at least um, within the last few months with everything going on and doing remote learning. I've seen that some professors are definitely more open to being lenient and listening to students than others. But I think overwhelmingly, I've been very impressed with how our school is able to manage mental health, considering that it's a big public university. But I think there are definitely ways that we can make it more accessible and encourage students to reach out more, because it's definitely a matter of students taking initiative in order to get there in the first place. Yeah, that's most important. People should know, students should know that resources are there. If they want, they can take help. So that part, I don't know how many schools or how many universities they are focusing on. Um, I would like to uh, hear from Amber and uh, Sania. Most of my thoughts are aligned with Sapna, especially going into Davis. It's a big school and there is a good amount of resources, as she said, with like specific ethnic communities and like more resources as you dig deeper. However, I feel like it is the awareness is there in college and there is definitely a lot of awareness. But for me speaking for Davis's behalf, the awareness is there, but sometimes it can be hard to still schedule an appointment or even go through the whole process of just meeting a counselor because... I know it's it's still hard to even make 
appointments with like academic advisors but in terms of counselors it still can be hard because sometimes there's a lot of kids who they have to see per day and you have to get like it might be a week it might be maybe a month until you get an actual appointment i personally haven't opted for an appointment but from what i've heard it's kind of a bit hard that's why i'm part of a senate staff group and part of student government and one of our goals was to maybe establish more peer group services so that students would feel more friendly talking to other students about their mental health issues or just talking in general and just have a small community in the college itself so i feel that the awareness is 100% great by from my college and what i can speak of the services might be a bit difficult and it's honestly kind of a bit hard too because there's 35,000 students and maybe a couple of counselors and just managing all of the students might be difficult that's why i personally opt for more peer group types of services just more recreational activities whether it's with friends or even just strangers it's just nicer to get their minds off or even just open up more to their groups so yeah that's what i could say for my school's perspective wonderful power to you i know sapna shared her experience with how her high school dealt with mental health I went to a public high school in Evergreen and it was a large public high school. We had about 3000 kids and we had one to two mental health counselors for 3000 kids. So that was definitely a difficult situation, especially because I had experienced so I'd seen the counselor at my school and she wasn't very helpful like looking back realized that she didn't follow the same protocols that counselors are supposed to follow and when i looked back in the past year i've done some research on this just about how much funding that these counselors get in these schools mm-hmm. and it's close to nothing and you know these are counselors that are not working at schools 24/7 they are a counselor for maybe 2 to 3 large public schools and are going back and forth during the week. Mm-hmm. And unlike what they had at Sapna school, which I think is great, these mandated meetings, we didn't have those. It was you can, you know, ask to see them or you just didn't know they existed. So that was high school and I think high schools specifically public schools have a long way to go in regards to mental health advocacy, mental health resources and just mental health education. Now when it comes to college, I kind of did the reverse of Sapna. I went to a small private college on the East Coast and there are resources. I'm very lucky to say that my school, uh Drexel offers free counseling for anyone who's a student and as long mm-hmm. as they're a student at Drexel, which is wonderful. Most colleges do almost every single college will have a mental health counseling resource. The issue is that not all of them are fully subsidized. So there are some that exist where students don't have to pay, and there are some that exist that students have to pay but it's a small amount. There are others where students are still fighting with the university to get those resources subsidized. It's also important to understand that counseling centers at colleges are not set up for long-term care. just in their conception just in how therapies provided long term mm. having 3 to 4 counselors which is you know what i've seen as the general trend across campuses 
they can't support an entire university. And so it's set up in a way that, you know, you have major counselors and then you have uh, students studying underneath them who are trained to, and they have short term. So at Drexel, the longest amount of care they can offer is six months. Now, coming into college as someone who had been in therapy for two years at that point for long-term therapy and had serious issues that I needed to, you know, deal with. I was moving across the country. I had a diagnosed illness and a traumatic history. So I went there. They recognized that I benefited from long-term therapy and continuing long-term therapy. And they worked with me to give me a list of resources and therapists within my community that took my insurance, which I think is super, super important for students to know that that option also exists. You're not supposed to do it alone. This is probably the first time for many students to deal with their own mental health or like health insurance in general. And to know that colleges and universities have resources that are meant to be utilized by students. It's just about taking that action and initiative to ask those questions. Yeah, so many students are worried about the cost and insurance because they don't know whether they can get therapy that they need, whether it will be covered by an insurance. And also when I was listening what you were saying that uh, one thing popped up that is culturally responsiveness, that if the therapy or the services students are asking or getting whether it is culturally responsive or not, whether the therapists who are providing the service, um, uh, are they aware of the culture? Because many people, many teens in our community, it is possible that they are facing family or peer pressure and they are you know, ha- you know, facing cultural conflicts, gaps. And for that reason, they are facing mental health issues. And if the therapist he's or she is going to, that person, that therapist doesn't understand the culture well, I really don't know whether that service, that help uh, is the right help or not. So that is another question maybe we need to think. I mean, I'm not saying that all South Asian teens need culturally responsive therapy, but some may need and are they getting it? So what are the steps to get therapy for students? How can they get free therapy if you know any of resources that you can trust or share? That's a great point that you brought up. There's actually a movement within healthcare in general in response to that that's called cultural competency, especially in mental health care. And I work with an organization that is pushing more college campuses to employ culturally competent therapists to employ therapists that are representative of their student body. Because exactly like you said, there are cultural barriers to a lot of these things. And unless the therapist knows what those are, communication can be difficult and administering therapy can become a barrier. In regards to getting therapy, there are amazing resources that exist. And so so we've talked about therapy as a student and going to the counseling center. But I actually work, I'm a student ambassador with the Jed Foundation, which focuses on mental health education and suicide prevention among students and teens in the U.S. And they work with a bunch of other organizations to help promote education about mental health. And I feel like that's the biggest resource, because until you can understand what's going on, 
you might not be sure what resource you need. They also put people in touch with therapists, all these resources. Now that we're in COVID, uh, because of COVID and we're all in quarantine and we can't, you know, see someone in person, there are crisis text lines. There is Talkspace. And these are online therapy resources that you can text and utilize over your phone. And there's also Seven Cups of Tea, which I would recommend students checking out if their university offers. But it's also just a free resource in general that's like a hotline, but it's not crisis related. And so you get connected with a listener who's trained Mm. and can talk about everyday stressors. Thank you for sharing those resources. And speaking of suicide and uh, teens, like various studies show that uh, rates of suicide and attempted suicide among the worldwide diaspora of South Asian teens are very high. So do you have any comment on South Asian teens and suicide? What I feel about that high rate, it really comes down to the fact on family environment and just see how the upbringing is actually going because it's definitely a startling statistic and when I read that it really hurt that wow it's in my own community but what sucks is that I can also see why it's within our community because you can see a lot of stresses especially Bay Area kids face daily when they're going in high school because in high school you stress about your grades your extracurriculars your basically future and just see where your interests are and sometimes it really builds up every day for many South Asian teens and then one day they just burst because it's building up so much that they don't set aside time for just contemplating or just thinking about what they're doing in their life or how they're actually doing. So that whole rate or statistic is really startling because that's also like in India especially where mental health is really stigmatized and it's not really taken to the top most priority as it should be, because now there's starting to be more awareness, but there's so much factors such as academic studies, extracurriculars that come into play, especially for high schoolers. And what sucks is that in the system of this world, like we're all in this system of going into high school and high school really occurs at an age which is really sensitive for all teenagers, because the teenagers is where you're really developing your hormones, you're growing, And when you're adding more stress and more of these external factors that can deeply affect your growth, that just messes up your whole mental health in itself. And it sucks for me to even say that I see why. I understand why the statistic is so high, but it is something we're all taking steps towards now. And that's why I feel my generation or like our generation might and will step up towards this problem. And That's basically my thoughts on it. And I really don't like it that it's highest within our own community. It shouldn't be high in any community. Sani and Sapna, can you add something that why women, why girls, are they facing any extra burden and extra fear so that they are taking their lives in our community? Well, just to kind of add on to what Ambar was saying first, Sonia and I have this podcast called Loud Mouth Ledkeys, and we talk about some of the various issues we experience as South Asian American young women. In fact, one of our episodes is specifically on the Bay Area and growing up in the Bay Area and how that adds a different element of, first of all, there's already a very high prevalence of mental illness in the Bay Area. And then second of all, there's also a very high prevalence of 
mental illness in South Asian American young adults. So then when you add both of those together, it's like an extra layer of how do we address this in our community in the Bay Area as uh, young South Asian individuals. And so I think what we have talked about a lot in the past is not only just the stigmatization of reaching out for resources and reaching out for help, but there's also that immense level of pressure that communities in the Bay Area put on students, not only in the matter of like, how are they performing in school and how involved are they, but also just looking at other individuals, comparing children to each other. And there's just so much pent up competition and pressure in that sense. And I think that's another reason as to why I agree with Ambar in saying like, these statistics and these pieces of evidence are unfortunately not too surprising. But in terms of specifically young women, I think in our podcast, we've also talked a lot about how there's also matters of like gender-based discrimination and how does gender impact the way that people choose careers or the way that people go about in their daily lives. And I think there's a lot of like body image issues that come up both as South Asian young women and South Asian American young women. So there's that mixture of communities now. So I think a big way to look at why these are such big issues in our communities is just understanding the difference in cultures. And as South Asian Americans, you're not only looking at South Asian culture, but you're also looking at American culture. And so finding that in between that balance is kind of challenging sometimes. And I think that can also be a contributing factor to why we're seeing such high prevalence of mental health issues in our community. The more I'm listening to you, the more I'm you know, understanding that how important it is for all of us, especially for adult community members. Like I am seeing that all people like whoever is teen, uh, South Asian teens and young adults, they are you know, way ahead uh, of us, our adult community members. They are understanding that it is a, it's a big problem and we must do something to fix it. But I think we adults, we, uh, we have started realizing it, but we need to do more. We need to focus more on understanding um, like in our community, many parents are scared of community ostracism. Like uh, you just shared that they compare their children with other children and they, they kind of feel peer pressure that they need to present all around their children in front of their friend circle. So that peer pressure under their that kind of pressure, they sometimes uh, make mistakes that and they don't even realize that i remember i was interviewing a one south asian college student for our podcast and she told us that when she felt that she needed help for her mental health well-being and shared that feeling with her mom her mom got very scared and she thought that her daughter will be labeled as crazy or something like that and what will people say out of that fear the mom actually didn't let her go to any therapist at the beginning. This kind of thing is not an isolated case. It's happening. So how can teens communicate with their parents if they need help? Do you have any suggestion for teens and for their parents? You hit it right on the head of the nail. Communication between South Asian teens and adolescents and even young adults, you know, with their parents and their families and their communities is integral to destigmatizing mental health. As someone who was very vocal about my experience with mental illness in my community, I can tell you firsthand that 
that stigma and that judgment does exist. I was labeled crazy. I did have people come and ask me why I shared what I shared. I had people come and ask me why I would even consider committing suicide. And it was very insensitive to begin with. But it was also very appalling for me to see their reaction to something so dramatic and something so extreme as why would you do that? Why weren't you thinking about your family? Why weren't you thinking about how this affects us as a community? We don't want to be associated with you. Instead of, Mm. how are you doing? You must have been in a really bad headspace to not want to live anymore, right? Mm. And so shifting that perspective of, what are people going to say? It doesn't matter. People are going to talk regardless. And the sooner students, children of South Asian immigrants realize this, the sooner we can push our parents and our communities to stop thinking like this as well, right? Because until Hmm. you as an individual can understand that mental health exists for everyone, everyone has mental health. The issue is people thinking that you talking about mental health means that you have a mental illness. Everyone's going to deal with stressors in their life and normalizing that, validating that, making it known and understood that my experience with stress, my experience with depressive symptoms and anxiety does not automatically mean that I am depressed or anxious. It might be that it just has grown and compounded for so long and I never had the resources to stop it from the beginning, right? So when you as an individual can understand that your mental health is important and your well-being is important and until you take care of yourself, you can't take care of the people around you. Mm. Once that is understood and conceptualized and accepted, then you can move forward. Because I have friends who've had wonderful experiences telling their parents that they were dealing with mental health issues. I have friends who've had terrible experiences. What makes the difference between both of those experiences is not the parent's reaction. It's how the individual feels about themselves. And it's difficult because this places the onus and the responsibility on the child. But we're talking about a cultural shift. We're talking about a very radicalized movement here that we're asking a generation of kids who were raised a certain way to push back against what their parents are thinking in order to take care of themselves. My mom, who is one of the most supportive people in my life, the reason that I'm here today, even she didn't understand what I was going through. But when she took the time to learn about it, and she took the time to understand that taking my daughter to therapy is what any parent should do when they're facing a mental health crisis. If my daughter broke her leg, I would not keep her from going to the doctor. Similarly, if my daughter is dealing with depression, I'm not going to keep her from seeing a therapist because that's only going to make the problem worse. And once she understood that, We were able to communicate. I now have a wonderful relationship with my mom where I can tell her, hey, I'm having a bad day. I'm feeling depressed today. And it's not an issue of contention. She understands because she took the time to understand. And I think that is, you know, kind of the goal that you shift your own mentality. You work towards sharing that mentality shift with your parents and then you move forward. So you are so right, this kind of open communication and trust should be in all relationship, 
whether it is parent uh, child children relationship or the or family members between family members so we should have trusted an open relationship so i just want you to you guys as one or two uh, tips to how community members help in destigmatizing mental health i'm going to be honest here i think this might be a tip towards the school system i know there's like meditation or yoga clubs that are now starting to exist in like high school or even college organizations but i feel that more in high school there should be at least one mandatory at least meditation or just yoga or any type of de-stressing class it would be difficult but i think it should be possible because like i said before high school is a really sensitive time for every teen so if you have any de-stressing class in the middle of the day at least the student can clear out their mind or just meditate and maintain their like well-being so that's what i feel as a tip okay great um i think in terms of general tips when we're talking about like if i was to address this to adults parents and friends of someone who might be struggling with mental illness i would tell them to just listen to more than anything like before you step in and say something before you think like oh what are other people going to think or are you sure you have xyz condition just make sure you're listening and being supportive of what this person you care about has to say i think that's the first and foremost very very important and then the other thing i would say is if you do know someone who is struggling through a mental health issue or something like that i think the second biggest thing to do is hold this person accountable because like we mentioned today it's sometimes the biggest step is reaching out and taking that first step the first initiative right and i think that that's very difficult to do and if you are a supportive friend or a supportive family member and you keep on encouraging the person this would be a great day to seek out for help or today is a good day to call a therapist today is a good day to go online and see what resources are available i think that is such an excellent thing you can do as a caring family member or friend is just be there for the other person listen to them and help them get whatever help they need because it's hard to take those steps mm. and i would just say for anybody out there who feels like they're having issues or just feels alone know that you're not alone one there are a lot of people who are feeling the same way you do and there are tons and tons of resources and groups to support you and two your feelings your existence and your being is all valid and you are valid thank you sania sapna and amber for sharing your perspectives your experience and vulnerability with us i hope who are listening to our show today they will think about this issue deeply and do something in their power to break the stigma We hope more people will speak openly about what they are experiencing and seek professional help without the fear of judgment, discrimination or harassment. Listeners, please keep listening my three podcast between friends conversations with my three. You will find all our episodes on SoundCloud and on different podcast apps. Please search between friends conversations with my three. Please like, share and comment. We are doing 
this podcast for you, for our community members. And please keep listening and share our link with your friends. And stay in touch with us through my Tiberia Facebook page and Instagram. Visit our website, sending you all the love and big virtual hug. Stay safe and stay healthy. Thank you so much. Bye. Views expressed by guests of the radio show are individual opinions and not endorsed by Maidri.